now that the children are gone, I can tell you guys something. Last week, Dave talked about in his sermon about um, how some naughty children would figure out what their Christmas gifts were ahead of time. That there were some that would find them and look for them, and then there was the worst type of children who would actually play with the gifts. I have prided myself on years of being the perfect child in our family. And a lot of that was premised on the fact that my parents didn't always see me doing things because I was small and I was quick and I could get away with things. Now, for many years, um, I'm sorry to tell you this, Mom. For many years, I knew exactly what I was getting every year for Christmas. I would make a list. I would give it to Mom. She would purchase it. She would put it in the exact same spot year after year after year, which was her closet. Now, not to say much about my mom's closet, I can understand why she thinks it would be hidden in there, because it's hard to find things in there. Sorry, Mom, I had to tell that joke. But all I would do, I would, well, I would get anxious. I would be afraid. What if she didn't get me the Nintendo 64 game? Or what if she bought the wrong Lego set? I have to know. And so when they were away, I would sneak into the bedroom, open the door, look through the bag. Like, I just, like, pry it a little bit like it was a crime scene just so I could leave it undisturbed. She wouldn't know if I had done this. But I would check it and ensure that the thing that I wanted, I had received. So I didn't take them out and play with them. I did not do that. But yet again, I was far more disobedient And my mom would ever think, my dad's like, this sounds about right. Now I have more ammo. Not just that one time that you got yourself suspended from the bus. This is great stuff. Now I've got more fuel for the next time. So I admittedly was a terrible child around Christmas time. And I only got coal once. That's a different story. Only got coal once. But the problem with it was I could not handle my plans not occurring. I wrote a very specific list. I told, I made, well, it was, it was a big list. I didn't expect to get everything, but I had very specific things that I needed on my list. They were important for my life to continue. And if they did not come to me on Christmas, my life would not continue because the worst thing ever would be happening to me and I would possibly die from drama. So that was young Scott. And you're saying, well, does that matter? Kids in their Christmas lists, they don't, they're just kids. It's okay. Well, it's important to know that because in today, in today's text, we are stepping into the life of a young woman. On Wednesday nights, we have a youth group. And this week, I asked the girls, they're all teenagers, ages 14. I think the oldest might be 16, might be 17. I asked the girls what they wanted in their life by 25 what they wanted to have happened in their life by 25. Just pulled them. Just said, quick, what do you girls really want? Or what are your expectations, some of the things that will happen? And they really only had three answers. They said, you know, some of us would like to be married. You know, I'd like to have found my husband by then. I'd like to have him at that point, which we had a chuckle because it sounded like they wanted to own their husband at that point. Then there was some that said, you know, I'd like to go to college. I'd like to have been pursuing school. And others said, I want to know what my career is at that point. I'd like to be established in it. And all these girls 
though they were between 14 and 17, all had very specific plans. All had very big intentions in their life. And today, in in the scriptures, we're stepping into the life of a young woman. She was a woman that was most likely a teenager because that was around the age that they would be getting married in that culture. The women would be getting engaged in their teenage years. She was engaged to a good man, and she was anticipating a normal life, a normal Jewish life, perhaps a modest life, nothing particularly special. She figured she would probably have a good husband, a good family, and a happy home that served the Lord. These were plans she had made, plans she expected. They were good plans. How often we forget that Mary was a simple, normal young woman. How often we forget that she had a life and she had plans in her life that she was going to pursue before Gabriel came to her. There's an old Yiddish proverb that goes, man plans, God laughs. Man plans, God laughs because our plans are sometimes hilarious. The things that we think that we're going to do, that we're going to accomplish, are probably making God laugh or chuckle or uproariously just crack up in in heaven. And they are hilarious. Sometimes they're dumb. Sometimes they're bad. Sometimes they're meant for bad things. Sometimes they can be good, but they're just so foolish. And so it makes sense that In our plans, sometimes God laughs that this old Yiddish, old Jewish proverb would be true. Not scripture, but it would make sense. But I think there should be an additional proverb. If if I can speak in Scott's proverbs into our situation, I think there's an additional one we should know. And it's that God plans and man fears. God plans, man fears. Because what God would have us do is so much greater than us. So great that we can't help but be troubled by it. So great that we can't help but be afraid at times. And thankfully, God speaks through Mary to us to show us that great things can come through his plans. And that the great that can come through them is better than the good we may plan for ourselves. Even though it comes with fear. But what is fear like? You know, we talk about fear. We throw it around. What is fear actually like? Fear is like that gray storm cloud that's just looming in life. It's not rain. It's not thunder and lightning. It's not even truly trouble, but it's that threat. It's that looming cloud in the sky that you're saying, you know, that could really, really wreck my day. It's not the presence of trouble itself but it's the dread of it. It's not disaster itself, but it's the creeping pit inside your stomach that says this could lead to something horrible. It is the threat of pain, danger, or strife, and it is us answering that question, what's the worst that could happen? I'll tell you. Awful things. And so fear what our, our series is about, the starting point that we begin at, fear, is something terrible. 
But it's not the problem itself. It's just our feelings towards the problems. And as I said before, Mary was much like us. She probably was afraid of things. She probably was anxious towards things in life. She probably was a little bit nervous about getting married to this man. Even though Joseph was a good man, she was nervous. She had anxieties and fears just like the rest of us. She probably figured her life would not be astonishing, but that it would be good, that it would be honorable, and that it would be, a no- it would be filled with the normal troubles of life and the normal blessings of life. But then something fearful happened. God said that the time had come and the angel Gabriel had appeared. And we start in 126 through 30. And we read in Luke, I'm sorry, Luke 126 through 30. says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Just a quick step. As David said, as Dave, Pastor Dave said last week, one of the things we have to keep in mind is Gabriel appearing was not just this gentle, nice, ah, Here's Gabriel kind of thing. It was a terrifying aspect. I mean, you just think of, I think of my day-to-day life. Yesterday I was working on the sermon, sitting on my couch, and my dog decided to randomly just bark in the middle of sleeping. And I jumped very much. I was just so scared by this. And Hannah laughed and laughed and laughed at me. Because that's what you're supposed to do when you're married. You're supposed to laugh at the other person being terrified of something. And so if a dog that's sitting on the ground next to me can scare me like that, an angel appearing before Mary, shining, glorious, and, all, and powerful, sent from God, probably scared her a little bit. Probably set her back a few years in her lifespan, seeing this, oh, where did you come from? And it says, specifically, that she was troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this is. It's really interesting to note. Mary wasn't scared so much by the angel. As terrifying as the angel would have been, as scary as a glorious, mighty warrior of God would have been, she was more troubled by what Gabriel was there to tell her. And so Gabriel speaks to her and he says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you and you have found favor with God. What would these mean? She is just a normal young woman And an angel of the Lord is telling her this. So Gabriel comforts her. And he explains that God has, he begins to explain that God has great plans for her. Now this is a sort of good news, bad news statement from Gabriel. God has great plans for you. The one thing that doesn't mean is that everything in your life is going to go the way you want it. Saying to you, 
that God has great plans for you means that at times what you want to do with your life is going to be different, is going to be according to God's design, God's desires for you, God's purpose for you, and less about what you want and what you think your design and purpose for life would be. So good news, bad news from Gabriel, God has a plan for Mary. He's a great plan for Mary. And it is going to wreck her life. It's going to decimate her life. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. This is Mary. Everybody loves Mary. She, she was the mother of God. Through her, all the nations were blessed. How could you say her life was decimated? Well, just think. Just think for a second. She's a virgin who's engaged, and she's being told that you are going to bear a son. That's what is going to proceed. That's what he's going to tell her. In fact, we'll just read it. We'll read what God is going to do to the life of Mary. Verses 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The changes that are coming to Mary's life. The first big one, it's just a simple change. You will bear a son named Jesus. And Jesus, the name, it was actually popular in that day, and it's a form of Joshua. Joshua became Yeshua and then became Jesus in the Greek. We have the Greek form of Jesus. And it means Savior slash God is salvation. Specifically, Yahweh is salvation. So first off, he tells her, you're going to bear a son. Which, I mean, you start hearing it. It's like, oh, yeah, we're, I'm about to get married. I'll have a child. That's, 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 that's expected. Okay, I'll have a son. Cool. Me and Joseph will have a great child. He goes on. He says, he will be great. This is something amazing. He will be called son of the most high. That is a very important statement. It means he would be son of God. And for Luke to write that, what Luke was saying is that he will be equal in personhood with God the father. He will not be the same as God the father. He will be God the son, but he will be most high. So all of a sudden, Mary's like, this don't sound like Joseph's son. Okay. He goes on. He would be given the throne of his father, David. He would be a king. Oh, I'm going to have a king for a son. Okay. And then he finishes. He would reign forever over the house of Jacob. His kingdom would be everlasting. Now you think, those are amazing things. But how could this be since she was a virgin? Because if she's a virgin and she bears a son, then there's going to be a little bit of complications. Because what's going to happen when Joseph finds out that she's pregnant? What's he going to say? Is he going to leave her? Most likely, yeah. In that time period, for a woman to commit adultery during engagement, it was equivalent with, or for a woman to give birth to a child, it was equivalent with adultery. 
Having sex outside of marriage while you were engaged at that time period was equivalent with adultery. And the punishment for adultery was stoning, was death. And so the expectation for Mary was, I will probably die if Joseph makes a big deal out of this. I might die. So that was the worst case scenario. A better scenario was that her family would abandon her. Her family would be done with her. Because I'm going to tell you this straight out. Most people weren't going to believe that she conceived the child as a virgin. You know, this is surprising. But in that culture, if you went around saying, God gave me a child and I've conceived without me and Joseph ever having slept together, most people in the town would be like, really? Really? You say that happened, huh? Huh. You know, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. God told you this. You, teenage Mary, heard this from God. Are you, are you sure? They would have considered her a liar. They would have considered her probably a woman of low moral character. And her family would have said, no, you were so close to being wed and you could not control yourself and you have bore a child. And you just think of how their life ends up going. They end up moving three times. They go, they have to first travel to Bethlehem for the census, her and Joseph. But after Bethlehem, because Herod wants to, because the the emperor wants to kill all these children because they are prophesied to be the king, they run to Egypt. And after it becomes safe, they move again to Nazareth, where they had begun and where everybody knew their story. And so Mary's life goes from a plain Jane, everyday, young Jewish woman's life to the life of a woman of low repute, to the life of a woman who had a child who does not know his father, possibly, or claims his father is God, to a woman who either lied to her husband, is crazy because she thinks God gave her a child, or has done a really good job tricking him and making him be sinful too. So Mary's plans for life are completely disrupted and essentially destroyed because what God would have her do. And amazingly, in the midst of hearing all of this, everything that the angel Gabriel is telling her that is going to decimate her life as she knew it, her only question was concerning the how of this. How will this be verse 34 and mary said to the angel how will this be since i am a virgin and gabriel responds showing answering in two ways and she's really asking because of two things she she's asking because how how's this going to be logistically like i've never met i've never known a guy and i know that's how you get pregnant and so how could a virgin bearing how could a virgin bear a son. And so Gabriel starts to respond in verse 35 through 39. And he says, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So this is one of the first important things. This story is about how Jesus was born of a virgin. It has to be. It has to be. Jesus was not born of Joseph. 
He was not born of somebody else. The Holy Spirit conceived the son within Mary, miraculously formed the child, the infant child within her, as Psalm 139 so beautifully describes the conception, the formation of every child. God knit him together in her womb as he had so often knit together so many other infant children. And it's important because it shows who his father was. His father was not Joseph. Joseph was his stepfather. His father was God. He had to be both God and man so that he could reconcile us to God. If anyone ever tells you the virgin birth is unimportant and can just be left by the wayside, say, you do not know your Bible. And you don't understand what Jesus had to pay. He had to make the way for us through perfection. And the only way he could be perfect was by being 100% man and 100% God. And as hard as it is for us to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin through God and Mary, through miraculous conception, it's the truth. And it's necessary unto our salvation. So the angel first describes, this is how it's going to be. There's not going to be any kind of like weird stuff going on. This isn't the story of any kind of Greek or Roman mythology that involves a bull or a rain cloud. Nothing like that. God, through the Holy Spirit, is going to form the child within you. But then he goes on to tell her another thing. Because her question of how could this be was not just the logistics of how it would happen. It was also, how could this be? How could something like this happen? How can I, a child, I'm so young, I'm not married. I, how, how is this going to happen? And he tells her the story of another child who's being born. And he says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So what this is saying is that that as impossible as it seems, it is going to happen, Mary. It is going to be true. And just as your cousin who is an old woman, who was considered barren, who has had no child. Just as impossible as it was for her to give birth to a child, you too will give birth to a child. She will be a sign for you. She will show this to you. And after hearing all of that, verse 39, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. All of this terrifying, fearful thing she is told She gets up and she runs. Now, this is the second time this promise was made. Important. It's just important to see this. This is the second time a promise like this has been made in the Bible. The first time it was received by King Ahaz from Isaiah. And it's in seven, Isaiah chapter seven, ten through fourteen. We don't need to go there. And it was given the promise of a virgin bearing a son was given there. And what had happened was 
Isaiah went to King Ahaz to say, God is going to save you. Ask for anything. Ask for a sign. And he will show you that he is with you. And Ahaz was not close with God. He did not love God. He was not a great man. And he says, I don't need any sign. So Isaiah says, you are a fool for not asking for a sign. This is the sign. A virgin shall give birth to a son. And a prophetess ends up having, having a son. Now in that story, it's believed that she just con- it's Isaiah's son that she conceives. But the point was, here is an unlikely woman that will give birth to a son. And in that story, the king rejected it. But in our story today, the story of Mary, Mary hears this, she's told this by Gabriel, and she accepts it. She accepts it. But she starts to run. But it's not a bad run. The good news, it's not a bad run. Mary does not run for fear or from that which Gabriel had spoken. She runs in pursuit. She takes off to find out what God was doing. She sees in the distance that there is this promise. You are going to bear a son. He will be the son of the Most High. He will be on the throne of his father David. And he will reign forever over the house of Jacob. And to show you that God is with you, your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. The woman you never thought would have children. The cousins that you knew and loved that lived so far away that you said, I just wish they could have a child. They now are pregnant. So Mary gets dressed, gets ready, and she takes off because she wants to see what God is doing. And she chases the promise. She goes to see this miraculous pregnancy of Elizabeth. And the contrast of Elizabeth and Mary, it is a beautiful one. It is a beautiful contrast because here you have two women who equally should not be carrying child. Neither of them are supposed to carry child for starkly different reasons. But now they both find themselves in this common blessing. They are pregnant together. They have this common joy. They are both going to bear a son. That by God's grace, she who was old and considered barren, now would bear the prophet John. John the Baptist would be her son. And she who was young and had not known a man and was just as unlikely to give birth to a child would carry John's cousin, the God-man Jesus. And like he did for Mary there, God speaks such things into our fears as well. In your fears, God is just as much speaking. He is speaking so loudly and so clearly here in his word. He is saying so many things, calling out to you in so many different ways to tell you of his promises for you, of his care for you, of not only how far he will go for you, but how far he has gone for you. And all we have to do is mirror Mary and give chase. Let us also give chase to us. Let us pursue, like Mary did, what God is doing. So Mary found something amazing, 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went into haste into the kill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah 
and greeted Elizabeth. She walks in and she sees Elizabeth and she's sitting there and beaming. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she acclaimed with a loud, loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So what what happens here is Elizabeth sees Mary and she testifies to truth. She says, God has put in you our Savior. He is within you. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit filled her and gave her those words to speak to Mary. The pursuit of the promise, the promise of what God said was pregnant with joy. Elizabeth herself was pregnant with joy and pregnant with the words that Mary needed to hear to be confident in what the Lord would do and for us as well. The promises of God are pregnant with joy and the words we need to hear for our joy. They carry within them the words that will speak into our fear, our darkness, and stay it. And teach us all that we need. So Elizabeth calls her blessed. Oh, honored woman, you are the happiest woman that will ever be. Because you are carrying the Son of God. Every change of plans, every different thing that was happening in her life, she was blessed. So Mary enters into joy. And Mary exalts in God with a praise that we know that has been termed throughout the years as the Magnificat. And it's this beautiful poem in verses 47 through 56. Let me just, or 46 through 56. Let me just read it to you. So this is the, this is the song that Mary writes. There's, there's some connection with other songs in the scriptures. In 1 Samuel, the, um, the woman Hannah writes a song like this after she finds out she's with child. I, I have this feeling that Mary and Elizabeth sat together and prayed because it goes on to say that she stayed with her three more months. Mary stayed with Elizabeth throughout the rest of the pregnancy. I'm sure throughout that time they spoke of how the scriptures talked to women who would not have given birth. How they spoke into the lives of Hannah and other women who were not to bear child. And so Mary sings this song that is very similar to Hannah's. And it says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. 
He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of the humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. In the song, Mary starts by proclaiming her praise of God and gives her reasons why, starting with, you have been so good to me. Though you are changing everything in my life, you have looked upon me favorably and are going to do through me things that no one else has ever done. And then she goes on to give all these other reasons to praise God. And there's a pattern there. It's one that we should consider and we thankfully bask in in this season. She gives thanks for his grace, confidently based on what he has done for his people. She confidently praises God, not based on what he was doing simply with her, but what he had done for his people. So we do this season. We give praise to God for what he has done for us, but also what he has done through Jesus, what he fulfilled in sending Christ to this earth, what he did for the nation of Israel and for the church through Jesus' coming. Mary sits there, looks at the plans she had made, just like we do. Thought perhaps things would go as she had wanted, but then looks at God's plan and said, Yours is better, Lord. Yes, how did she know? Because generation upon generation upon generation of believing person had found out that God changed their plans for better. That God transformed their lives for better. That he entered into their situations, entered into their dirt, their muck, their sin, and made their life better. Generation of, upon generation of God saving his people. Generation upon generation of, God, of them hearing that one day, one day their Messiah would come to crush the enemy. And those generations now spoke to Mary and showed her that God was more trustworthy with her life than she ever could be. Similarly today, we give thanks for God's grace in our life, confident in all God has accomplished through Christ Jesus. Our songs this Christmas, this day, are a graceful reminder to us of his love for us and his care for us and how that was completely finished first at the manger and then at the cross. Do you know that? Do you know that the plans God has for you may often run contrary to the plans that you have set for yourself? That they may be more difficult? That they may involve more suffering? That they may change you so that you are less like yourself and more like God? Have you found it to be true that God plans and man fears? I know I have. Mary agrees with us. We are right to fear. We are right to be troubled. The greatness of his plans, they far, they are glorious. And they are hard to look upon because they are from him. 
But the reality is they far outshine the difficulty that accompanies them. The greatness of pursuing God, of trusting him, and of being in his will through obedience and pursuing him outshine the difficulty that accompanies them. But Mary reminds us to pay heed to her story. Hear what she went through. God told her what he was going to do. She did not just sit around. He told her that this will be the sign. She does not just stay there. She pursues his promise. She looks to what he said would show her that he loved her. Would show her that this would be true. And she pursues. And after she pursues and is told of all of this truth, she praises God based on what he had done and what he was doing. Now she would be the mother of Jesus, who was the Savior, son of the Most High, the king on the throne of his father David, enthroned forever, the Holy Son of God. Through her, he would become, he would come. She was the human entryway for the God-man. And he would live for us and die for our sins and rise again. God plans and man fears sometimes. But the story of Christmas speaks something new to us. God plans and man fears no more. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you speak your word into our life. We thank you that we have made plans, often in wisdom, and that you have changed them. You've entered into our lives, and you've made them different. Sometimes drastically, sometimes minutely. Sometimes we can be afraid because of these changes. But we just ask that as we look at Mary, we look at the response of a young teenage woman, that we would see her bravery, that we would see her pursuit, that we would see her praise, and that like her, we would go from fear to joy. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that he means. Thank you that you worked in a young woman, much like us, to bring about so great and so amazing of a life. Bless us today as we, as we sing this final song. And help us to praise you out of the promises you gave. It's in your name we pray. Amen.